Hello and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's episode, we continue our spotlight on insane comics creators. Frank Martin is joining us today to discuss his anthology series, Modern Testament, Anthology of the Ethereal. It is a four-issue anthology series. They're not connected in any way other than the subject matter and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, one making an appearance in each of the issues. What are the books all about? Well, let me tell you what it says on the Insane Comics website. An angel, a demon, and a horseman of the apocalypse. These beings, although ancient and iconic, struggle to be understood and find their place in today's society. Humanity has changed since their creation, and they, along with it, but together will chronicle them on their journey through tales of self-worth and purpose. Their stories of discovery we're currently writing every day in our very own modern testament. And I read the entire series, I give it two thumbs up, and I recommend it to everyone to read. Before we begin the show, again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I really do appreciate the listens, and I do appreciate the feedback. I ask you to please continue to share and spread the word of Creator Talks, the podcast about comic book creators, writers, artists. And I hope you like this one. And if you do, pass it along to your friends and family. Let them give it a listen as well. I think they're going to enjoy it very much. We're getting into summer soon, so school's just about over. The kids will be getting out of school. People will be taking a vacation. So, hey, take a podcast along with you. Help yourself pass the time in a fun and entertaining way. But here now is my interview with Frank Martin on Modern Testament. Here now on Creator Talks. Frank, welcome to Creator Talks. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for being on. And uh, we're here today to talk about your book, at books, I should say, Modern Testament. You just finished the fourth? The fourth and final volume. It will be a four-volume series. Right. You had a, a free comic book day issue that you put out digitally, plus the four issues. Now, these are all standalone. You don't have to start with number one. I mean, it, it helps if you've read them all. You, I th- think you get more out of it since... Each of the books are anchored by uh, one of the four horsemen in it, volumes one through four. I think that was kind of the, um, the telltale sign that I should stop at four is that each one features a different horseman. And some, and because they're all standalone, sometimes other ho- horsemen make cameos in some of the stories. So you might see a horseman of war in one issue, but when it focuses on the horseman of war, it's a completely different character. That's kind of emphasizes the standalone aspect of the of the series yeah and each of the stories within the anthology are standalone so people should not think oh where do i jump in you can jump in anywhere in any order if you really want to um but uh, i enjoyed reading them one through four all the way through and four is coming out um when is it being actually dropped on uh, insane comics where you can pick up a copy next month i would say uh late june um, when when they do the releases for all their June releases, that's when it's coming out. I don't know the exact date, but it will probably be sometime towards the end of June. And all of these stories, and just the series in general, in case people haven't heard of it and are wondering, you don't have to have any particular religious belief. Don't get too uptight about, oh, it's a book about uh, angels and demons and their place and trying to find their place in the modern world. Uh, it's, they're just enjoyable stories. They're, I look at them this way. It's a mythology. It's as long as this man has been telling stories, these uh, beings, these ways of making sense of the world have been around. And they still are around today. Uh, for whatever reason, we're still trying to explain what's happening. So uh, there should be no intimidation or concerns. I think 
for you, probably the reception has been very positive about the books. Uh, for the most part, yeah. I would say a couple people said – I never had anyone say it was too religious because that was never the the point of it. As you said, it's kind of a mythology thing. And for some people, it kind of it went over their head. They just said, Angels and Demons, I'm going to be out. I said, well, you got a book out by DC Constantine and he has the Angels and Demons in it all the time. you got a show on Fox Lucifer that features the devil that has Angels and Demons. It's just kind of part of our pop culture at this point. So – a lot of people have embraced that aspect, and they, they find it very interesting. It's called Modern Testament, but you're covering a few different religions, at least, that I can see. You have Christianity, some of the uh, the no, God and the devil, uh, demons, and you also cover Judaism, some of the mythological characters. I'm just going to refer to them as mythological, just you know, for the sake of argument. Uh, and also Islam. So you cover three of the major religions uh, in this anthology series at one point or another. I was actually... Um it's funny you say that because when I first started this and I was like, I'm going to put out four volumes. I got a whole bunch of mess of characters to choose from, biblical beings. This is going to be great. And then when I really got down to the nitty gritty of it and I wanted to choose actual characters, I realized that my options were fairly limited. I mean, when I started looking at biblical beings, a lot of times I would pop up and would say unicorns. I'm like, I don't want to write a story about unicorns. No. <laughs> So I kind of I had to spread my wings a little bit and a little bit a little bit more flexible in my choices. And I feel um, Golem obviously is kind of a Jewish mytho mythological character. And um, uh, Volume Three has Jin, which is uh, tailored towards is, is Islam. So so yeah, I feel that doing that d definitely rounds it out a bit more. You know, reading those stories, people that haven't, it's not like just horror stories are it's not like along the lines of creepy or eerie which i love those classic stories and some of the new ones are putting out but to me there's a lot more involved here beneath the service of just a story with gods and demons and monsters it explains somewhat of the human condition how people are trying to make sense of the world i mean i look at it just my opinion in two ways some of those things are really happening to the character and some may be in fact in their mind and this is how they kind of make sense of the world. So I found it on that level, it's interesting. It's not just black and white, good versus evil. It's more driven by, some, in some cases, some of the stories, the internal conflict that the character is having, their place in the world, their relationship with a parent. Um, and that's the way, that's what I took from it. There's a, a little bit of a common theme. I mean, all the stories are standalone. They feature all different characters. But a common theme is their relationship with, with humanity because it's kind of one of those things where they wouldn't exist without us in a sense. So I wanted to focus on that and hark on that in that the time where all these uh, creatures and beings were really uh, manifested and brought out is not the same as it is now. So I wanted to kind of reflect that change in the times and focus on on their relationship with humanity now as opposed to uh, biblical times. Yeah, and that's a point you also brought out in some of the stories is they would not exist without us. In other words, you wouldn't know what good is without evil. You wouldn't know what pleasure is without pain. You can't have one without the other. One doesn't exist without the other. They're part of a, actually, I think they're part of a continuum, but you wouldn't appreciate one without the other it's kind of we do make them necessary in a way and it's interesting because today a modern society we look at things we're always looking for cause and effect what's the reason for something's existence and how can we control it 
And in some cases, in these stories we read, some things you just cannot control. Uh, pestilence, death, they're coming. They're coming for you. Death is coming for you. You can't, no matter how much money you have, much power you have, you're not going to change that. That's one of the things about the world. Impermanence, change, death. That's that's where it is, man. That's, you're going to have to deal with it. And so we've tried over the centuries as human beings to explain this outside of ourselves. You know, this is being caused by, oh, the devil made me do it. And that you have a story in your final volume, Better the Devil You Know, and then there's another part of it in the book, than The Devil You Don't, and blaming something else for what we've done. But the evil, the problem has been in us. We, we agreed to, this character agrees to a lot of this stuff. No one forced him to do it. I thought that was a great story. Really enjoyed that. You really took us around the world and back again with that. You just touched <laughs> on every single volume there, I think. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was definitely a fun story to devise. Uh, another thing I like to do um, with these tales is take common motifs, especially with the, the final volume, because as I mentioned in the, in the afterword of the book, that there's so many stories about God and the devil. It's kind of like, well, what can you do to be original? So for the devil, what I wanted to do was take a, a common trope that you've seen a million times, which is making obviously making a deal with the devil and kind of putting my own spin on it and my own thoughts on it. So in a sense, it's highly unoriginal, but at the same time, I hope to put my own fingerprint on it and give it something that somebody can take out of it that was unique. And another story in that final volume, and again, I'm not going to go into these in great detail and spoil it for anyone because I do want them to read the books. It's, you know, you want to get the, the full effect. But the God Complex, and this is not uh, uh, George Burns's, oh God, he is portrayed in this book or in this story is uh, very different than what you would expect. Again, you took these particular mythological characters and did something different with them that's hard to do because like you said they've been done over and over again. This was a great story also, the, uh, the second story in the book. Yeah, that was, um, that was another fun one to write. God, God's a tricky character, especially because in the Bible alone, he goes the spectrum of personas. He can be super, super nice, and he could be super, super mean. So picking the right uh, area that you want to focus on was a, a little bit of a challenge, but I think from the beginning I knew where I wanted to go in the direction. It was just a matter of how I wanted to craft his personality. The final story at Death's Door I thought was a lot of fun looking at the uh, fourth horseman, Death, in a very different light, you know, when he's kind of jaded with what he's doing. Like, what difference does it make, you know? In the end, it all comes down to me. They're all going to die no matter what I do. And he gets a little uh, complacent and jaded with his, his uh, existence. Yeah, that was definitely a fun... I think that's the only story in the entire series that has a um, a comedic tone to it, I would say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely wanted to play a little bit more on the lighter side, a little bit more on the fun side. It's not so much doom and gloom. And I, w I think in, as far as playing homage to the iconic characters, I took death in a completely opposite direction. I don't think you've ever find see a death before that's, that's fat and balding and, uh, and a lazy slop. <laughs> yes, and then uh, might have his uh, position at risk. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if there is a story out there that's like that, I would love to see it. But I, I um, until I do, I think I'm going to uh, tip my hat to that, that I'm the only one who's done that. <laughs> I think you are. No, I haven't seen it either. And something about these stories, if you removed the mythological aspect of it and just looked at it as a story, if you took away the, the religious portion of it, you still have a very compelling 
and personally engaging story. That's the hallmark of a good writer. Um, you know, they just are really good stories. The mythological characters are not a gimmick to pull you in. There's a lot there character-wise and story-wise that, that adds that extra layer and depth to it that makes you think a little more about it. Mythology has been used in how we make sense of our world, but as I said, you take that away, you still have great stories that would stand alone. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think one of the things that I did going in was that I had a big choice after the first volume whether or not to try to tie all these stories together into some some greater narrative where they're all inter interlocking in a, in a way. And I chose not to do that in the when, when, in the end for the reasons that you said, is that if I focus squarely on each character, on the, the themes and mythology behind each character, then I'm not really worried about a bigger picture and I'm not trying to dilute it with a bigger plot and I could really give each character their due. And it really made me think too because I would – if I didn't know anything about some of these mythological characters, uh, I mean outside of the golem, some of the other ones, I would, I would do a little research on them and look it up and, and got even more enjoyment out of it. So you don't have to have knowledge of all those things, but if you do, you'll enjoy it even more. Um, as a writer, and you're a writer first, and you chose to apply your skills to a story in comic book format, that particular medium, how did you educate and prepare yourself to produce Modern Testament? So um, it's kind of been a long journey for as far as comic book writing because it's not – it's very, very technical as far as what you need to do. When you write – I mean obviously writing prose, I write prose as well. It's it's There's a lot to go into that. But for the most part, you can just sit down in front of your computer and just start, just start writing. But with, with comics, there's so much you need to know as far as um, pacing – and panel layouts and working towards the strengths of your right of your artist as opposed to a weakness and and, and knowing page counts because you you can't everything is a, is dictated by within a comic book um, length you know if you write a short story I mean you got a of of um, prose you have a certain amount of words to work in but it, you don't have the same constraint with a comic book so. Um, Writing for that has been has been a, a definitely learning experience. So what I've done to do that is uh, years and years ago I wrote a um, I took a class and we were going to write a short comic, which eventually turned into the first story of Modern Testament, which was Fallen Angel. It was a very different draft, but that's what it would eventually become. And it sat on my computer forever, the script. And I finally said, you know what, I'm going to get this this made. And looking into it. I realized it's not just as simple as getting a a short story made of a comic because then what are you going to do with it? So from there, I'm like, all right, let me make a one shot, and um, and I wrote two more stories and found artists for them. And from from there, it was kind of it was a very daunting task to try to get a a comic book published, a one shot anthology. And I was lucky enough to find a a great publisher and, and James Bunch and for Insane Comics. And from there, the series kind of kind of grew and expanded and it is what it is today so it's definitely been a long journey and a learning experience but uh, i've had a lot of fun with it did it get a little easier for you as you did each volume of the anthology did it you know did you kind of start to get your groove after the first and second one i would say yes you definitely you learn you learn a little i would say tricks to cut corners as far as writing your scripts I mean, in the beginning, you sit down and you write your script from beginning to end. But as you you become a lot more familiar with the formats, 
you it's uh, it doesn't really be at least my writing process is not so linear if i have a an idea for a particular scene in the, in mind i could just start writing that scene as opposed to working my way through it from the very beginning or uh, if i have a a particular dialogue that i want to sound a particular way then i could just start writing it as opposed to laying out that page as a whole I could just focus on the dialogue and then come back and work on the panels later. And the art team that you have, they're different for each story. Uh, they don't have to all be the same. In fact, you didn't want them to all be the same. You wanted them to all be different, which I can appreciate because looking at each story and looking at the characters within it, you could almost I could almost look at it like, well, okay, this is their way of perceiving the world. This is how they make sense of something. This is their own personal experience. So each story should have its own personal different unique look and you chose the artists and the colorists for each story how did you go about deciding this is the right person to illustrate my story this team will work so that was that was a lot of fun um after writing the story and i obviously have an image of how i think it should look in my mind and there's so many different stories so there's so many different opportunities to give different styles to to the art that going through different artist samples and portfolios and see and trying to apply their style to that particular character was was a lot of fun so and also at the same token I wanted to vary the styles as much as I could between the issues themselves so if I have two characters that might have a, a similar style I don't want to put them in the same volume because I want to get a each each story in each volume to get have its own feel and its own flavor to it were there any minimum requirements that you had when you selected an artist, uh, the penciler, the colorist? What do you mean by minimum? Oh, well, like in just certain things you were looking for. I mean, you wanted to look different, but were there certain a certain thing about their artwork that, that needed to be there to be in the book? Not necessarily the style, but something in terms of the way they laid out a story. Maybe their past experience and the samples that you saw that was something that made you say, yes, that would fit in my storytelling. It was more – I would say it was just more a feel and style of what that particular biblical being or mythological character needed it at the moment. Like for instance, um, in volume three, there's a Nephilim character and I think you've touched on it about the relationship of the boy and his mother. That was a very raw emotional story and I needed something, an art to reflect that. So the, it's, it's got a little bit of a, a distinct look to it, not a very comic booky feel if that makes any sense and i wanted to do that because it's such a, a raw emotional story it takes place in a, in a tight confined space and i really wanted the art to reflect that as opposed to some big grand epic scale um looking art outside of the book just your own thoughts on beings piercing the veil that separates the material world from the spiritual world and i'll just throw out some examples just your thoughts on them Things like uh, ghost sightings and hauntings. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's any any weight to that? I really have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it's um, obviously it's something people give a thought to all the time. But as far as the grand being making a generalized statement on it, I like to look on them in each by case by case basis. I mean, obviously you can look at some people and say, yeah, they're full full of baloney. But other times. People want to believe at, at some point that that ghost exists or they, they see the Loch Ness Monster because it, it gives a sense of wonder to, to the world that we live in. So while, while I'm, I'm skeptical and I'm dubious to a lot of claims, I always want to keep that door open because it's, it would be boring if it was just, just us here. Yeah, 
I mean, I know people that have actually experienced ghosts, and I don't know what it is. I mean, the story seemed to make sense because it was someone they knew. Um, and, and to me, it's like matter to energy, and you know, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. I don't know how it works, but it's possible. You know, um, another one I want to ask you about, since this is one of the stories, is about exorcism. What are your thoughts on that? Exorcism might be a little a, a little trickier. I mean, to think that that a person has the power to to exorcise an evil spirit from someone seems a little a little far fetched, simply because. Uh, I, it's it's hard to believe that someone can gain that power in and of itself. So whether or not people can be possessed is a whole different question. But whether or not somebody has an, an average ordinary person has the power to cure that possession is um, is another step, is another leap. Yeah. I'm just curious. This is not your main source of income. This is not your main thing. I mean you have a day job. Is that right? I do have a day job. Comics at this point is a a very fun endeavor and a time-consuming endeavor, an energy-filled endeavor, but a, fu- a fun one nonetheless. How much time do you would you say you spend a week writing on your own time? How much time do I spend a week writing? I have no idea. It's very difficult to calculate because um, I I'm very busy, so I'm never. I would say only maybe ten percent of my writing is actually done in front of a computer screen. Mm-hmm. I have a um, a handheld phone that I use to do the majority of my writing, like a little a flip keyboard on a phone. Everybody who knows me laughs at me that I carry around a phone with me just for writing. But <laughs> when when you're very strapped for time, you got to do what you got to do. So to I, I write for basically minutes at a time, if not seconds. You know, I, I walk in the dog, I write a sentence. I'm standing in line in the grocery store, I write a sentence. So to put it all together into how many hours throughout the week. Is is a daunting task, but I ten hours a week. I really I have no idea. Okay, okay. So you just went. I was going to ask you when do you write. So it sounds like you squeeze it in wherever, whenever, using your phone, and then when you finally sit down at the computer, that's when you actually put the words to the page and pull it all together. But you're always coming up with ideas. I do the same thing. Like I'll be out and I'll think of a question to ask a guest, and I'll just grab my phone and record it before I forget. You know, I don't have time. That's another thing is that I um. The biggest, the biggest um, joke as far as writers go is that they come up with a, the greatest scene in the world or the greatest idea, and they say, "Yes, that's perfect. I'm going to write that down as soon as I get home." And then they're like, eh, "What was that again?" You got to catch those fleeting ideas in the moment as as they're passing. Absolutely, like carry a diary or a memo pad, and if you don't have that, carry your phone or something just to throw it in there. Because man, before you know it, you'll get distracted, and pff, there goes the idea. So yeah, like some people keep a. Uh, uh, pencil and paper next to their bedside so that if they have an idea when they wake up from a dream they can write it down and that's not a bad idea <laughs> my my big one is in the shower because you can't really bring a phone or a pen and paper in the shower you're like i gotta finish up this shower really quick so i can write this down <laughs> and speaking of water thanks for the transition you have a book you've been working on that will be coming out next year it looks like uh buccaneer seas buccaneer seas yes I'm writing that with Michael McNaughton. He's um, he will be doing the artwork, and it's a uh, pirate story. Oh, okay. I thought it was uh, just prose. That will be a comic series. Oh, okay, great, awesome. All right. It's a it's a four issue comic series, and it's um, straight pirates. I I really love pirates and the idea of um, pirates of the Caribbean and that kind of uh, throwing a little aspect of the supernatural there. So that's kind of the 
the theme or uh, that I'm or the genre that I'm bringing to it. So it's 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 a lot of fun to write. Okay, and uh, will that be published through Insane or through another publisher? Uh, it would be. It's going to be published through Universal Comics, part of their um, their first line of books. They got a couple different books that are coming out, and for the most part, they're all going to be part of a shared universe, a shared continuum. Uh, Buccaneer Seas will be in that universe, but obviously, it will take place during the Age of Piracy, so a little bit before the the modern day era. So you're moving on the pirates, and I understand that you generally don't want to repeat something if you've worked. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you've worked on a certain genre like you like to move on to something different um and I, I can imagine how difficult that would be for people that have to write superhero stories all the time because it's like okay now where do i go i mean that's where the real challenge is how do you make something fresh but you like to go on go on and try and challenge yourself with something else is that because um you like to flex different skills um show the breadth of your work or you just kind of feel like hey it's time to move on or is it a bit of all the above i think i like to to touch on everything um, I, I feel everybody has their one story for their one particular idea or one particular theme. For instance, people have a, a vampire story in them or a werewolf story in them or a, a, a mafia story in them. So, so I feel like I want to get all those stories out and touch on all those different themes and all those different aspects. And I, I don't like to, to revisit something unless I feel I can make it drastically different. And modern, modern Testament as I'm sure you've experienced, was a very heavy book. It was very dense. There was a lot to unpack there. So transferring that, um, or I should say, going from that to a, a story about pirates, just going crazy finding treasure is definitely a fun and a big jump that I'm that I'm enjoying at the moment. Is there something that you're just dying to write, that one story that at some point you want to get to on a particular topic? Uh... I don't think so. I mean, I got a bunch of different ideas that I want to write, but none, but none more than a different one. Just a matter of which, at that particular time in my life, is the most optimum one to to work on. And the part of the show is I like to understand and know more about the creators because to me that's part of the fun and that's part of the purpose of this is not just what you're working on, but something about you, so that people have a better understanding of who is behind that book. And that's the great thing about being in this day and age. Back when I was growing up, and I've said this before on the podcast, you just had names in a comic book, and you might see some comments in the letter page or a bullpen bulletin, but you really didn't know who the people were. Now you can meet them in cons, listen to them on podcasts. So my question for you is, you have a guilty – well, it's actually more of a statement. You have a guilty pleasure. You really know most of the lyrics to Weird Al songs. (laughs) You're a big Weird Al fan. Is that right? I'm a huge Weird Al fan. I've seen him twice in concert. They're, he's very, very fun to watch, and um, he's just fun. He is arguably one of the most successful recording artists of all time. I agree. I was just having that discussion with my wife before I got on here. I said, you know, he likes Word Allen. And she said, he's, he's a genius. That guy's really, really good. He's very successful. He's been doing this for decades now. I said, well, yeah. He's withstand the test of time better than a lot of people. I mean, he kind of started – late 70s early 80s and even today he's still rocking strong and he's he's transcended generations as far as what he's done and and it's it's very fun to to look back at some of the old songs from the 80s and the 90s and I play them for my kids and they love them they go crazy so it's <laughs> a lot of fun it is a lot of fun i've gone back and 
watch some of the videos on YouTube, and I just think I'm like these are this these are so great, like uh, Amish Paradise and some of these other ones. I'm like these are so good. My son likes uh, like a surgeon. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he could have just been, like, one of those one-off parody records, but no, no, he's been just cranking out. When did you see him in concert? You said you saw him twice. I think I saw him as my first, very first concert in grade school. I was in, like, third grade, and then he was coming town again, I think, when I was a college student. I was like, I gotta go again! And then, <laughs> I was, and he's, yeah, he's, it's it's definitely a fun-filled show, and he was, he was, I don't know, maybe he was in his 50s at the time, but he 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 does like more costume changes than Lady Gaga in a concert. He just goes crazy. <laughs> he, which, he dresses up like an Amish person and then like a Jedi, and then he's got on the fat suit when he does uh, Michael Jackson, and it's it's, uh, it's definitely a fun-filled event. I have seen Weird Al. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw him. I had to look up the date because it's been so long. I went on the internet and found out when the concert was. This was back in 1987, August 8th. He opened for. He opened for the monkeys. <laughs> and he started with Like a Surgeon. That was the first song he did when he came out on when he rolled out on stage on the gurney. <laughs> even a picture of uh, if you go on the internet a picture of weird al with the monkeys dressed as one of the monkeys since michael nesmith wasn't on tour with them so he was kind of goofing around but the, yeah he put on a great show audience loved it i mean we had a really good time it was at the uh, man music center that i saw him back in 87 another thing that we have in common besides our love for weird al uh, are the kids we both have uh, kids i can hear the kids uh sometimes you can hear mine in the background and uh, sometimes kids say the darndest things don't they yeah, they do. He comes out with things all the time. He, uh, we were at, at my grandmother's house. My grandmother has a very old dog. And she, he went up to the dog and said, yeah, she's old. She's going to die soon. And I'm like, Evan, you can't say that. you got to be a little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> They're so honest. <laughs> yeah, we um, got back from a trip in Shenandoah and uh, in the park. We're in the cabin. And my son's been looking forward to go. I have two sons, five and uh, five years and nine months. And uh, my son's been looking forward to the five-year-old to going on this hiking trip for so long. And he said, Mommy, I feel whole here. And my wife's like, wow, that's really, really deep. She goes, really, Nolan? You, you feel whole here? And he says, yeah, right here in the sheet. There's a hole. <laughs> <laughs> It's very cute. I just killed me. I thought that was so funny because for a moment it was like, wow, he is such an insightful deep kid. <laughs> no, he's more of a pragmatist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
he's uh, he's into Pokemon Go, and that's where he is now. He's out uh, with mom and his little brother searching for Pokemon. I know that big fad kind of blew over, but uh, he's for to him, it's like a big deal, and it's like all he focuses on right now. He likes comics, too, because, you know, dad brings him up right. But uh, right now, that's his thing. That's what he really likes. Well, my son's about to get into the whole Pokemon phase. The kids at school like Pokemon, so he has to he has to dabble in it now. Yeah, well, you know, it's great. It was my my son will like trade cards with the other kids, and now he's thinking about strategy, which is which is good that they're actually you know not just collecting the cards, but thinking about okay, what's the best way to at least on the tablet build their Pokemon Go and everything. So it, it's a good uh, stimulator for the brain, a good way to learn. So you know that at least there's that you know. <laughs> <laughs> at least there's a silver lining to it yes yes indeed final few questions i have are just fun questions i call them peace and relaxation i ask all my guests these questions what do you like to do when you have time because a lot of my guests don't and you're probably one of them from what we've talked about what do you do for rest and relaxation rest and relaxation what's that <laughs> exactly um i don't really know i mean i like reading and I like watching. Uh, I watch a lot of TV with my wife. Watch watch a lot of movies, but it takes us about five days to finish one movie because we only get to watch it in ten fifteen minute segments. And uh, but if I do manage to get a free moment, I I like snowboarding stuff like that. But for the most part, uh, those days are over. Mm. <laughs> At least for the foreseeable future. I understand. Yeah, snowboarding. Interesting. Are you close to uh, the mountains up there? Where are you located? Uh, I'm located outside the city in, in New York. So um, there are, are Casco Mountains within us. I mean, Vermont's within driving distance, too. So there are there are certain mountains around. And, of course, there's nothing like going out west, though, to Colorado and Utah and, and uh, going to the Rockies out there. Oh, yeah. No, I, I hear you. No, I like going to Vermont. I've been there several times uh, with my parents and then with my own family. Well, at least with my wife, we've gone up there. Uh, we've been to Bennington a couple of times, uh, done some hiking up there. It's really, I just love Vermont and, of course, out west. You know, I just, both of us are just huge fans of the west, the southwest, Colorado. We've been to Utah. Uh, traveling really broadens the mind, and it is just so much fun. And it's it's absolutely worth it if you can do it because you you create some wonderful memories, and it's it's good for the family too to have uh, the kids see some different environments, different places, and hopefully they'll when they get older appreciate it and want to travel too. But that's great that you're so close to uh, places you can do some snowboarding and you know enjoy it when you travel as well. What do you like to read? Uh, currently, I'm reading Lord of the Flies, so I like to to read a little bit of everything. Maybe some classics that I never got to read in in school. I like to read um, a lot of uh, indie writers, too, that come out now that I'm friends with. I like to re keep up with what they're doing. I like to read a lot of nonfiction, dabble in all sorts of different subjects just to kind of educate myself on stuff. So so they're, just like I, the way I write, I like to read a very broad spectrum of stuff. Yeah, one thing, um, I don't know if you've read this series. This is a comic book series. Uh, I believe it was through Image. It was uh, The God Damned, uh, Jason Aaron. I was reading it. And I did enjoy it. I don't know kind of what happened. I think maybe it's on a little bit of a hiatus. I haven't seen a new issue recently. But it was it was an interesting take on early uh, take on early humanity and biblical times. And I did enjoy it. I did like it. Something something a little fresh. Yeah, that was really a different take. I think uh, the first arc wrapped up, and they had a trade out in June. But no, I haven't seen anything since then either. I kind of wonder what happened to it. Um, hopefully, there'll be more. But I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, TV, what do you? Uh... 
what do you like on TV? I mean, for me, a lot of it's the stuff on Netflix, and I can stream it. And like you, I'm watching it usually either late after the kids go to bed, or if it's a movie, geez, you know, either something they can watch or in fits and starts. Uh, there's so much good TV out there. It's kind of hard to to get everything. But as far as what shows I'm watching, I'm watching all the DC shows that have just that are just wrapped up on on CW. I uh, I like the Marvel shows on Netflix. I think right now I'm currently watching the new season of Masters not Master of None. That I'm about halfway through that, and the wife and I are watching American Gods on uh, on Stars Neil Gaiman's uh, adaptation. Yeah, Master of None. I I enjoyed that. I watched the first season. Just started watching the second season, and uh, I don't have Stars. So what do you think so far of American Gods? I'm reading actually the the comic book out by Dark Horse that's out right now. Um, but I have not seen the series yet, and I do want to see that. The series, I think, I'm, I think I'm enjoying it. Uh, I read the novel. I was, I would say, I was a mediocre fan of the novel. I mean, I didn't love it, love it, but they take a lot of the, the, the storylines and the characters in the novel, and they expand upon certain aspects on of it, and they b- explain it better, and they do it in more detail. So I think I'm liking the series better than than the novel i mean it's definitely very weird for i think for someone who hasn't read the novel who just jumps into the series it's too much weird all at once but if you've read the novel and then you transfer over which is kind of toned down a little bit and then watch the series at least you're a bit prepared for the weird if that mm-hmm. makes any sense so you better you might um have a better reception towards it but um i think i'm enjoying it so far i think it's about halfway done okay yeah that's something i definitely want to check out and uh and also, a preacher's coming back uh, in June, so that's something I do want to. I did enjoy the last season of Preacher, so I do want to see that also. You are reading Lord of the Flies right now. If you were on a desert island or a tropical island, and all you had was one book you could take with you, what would that book be? Does a, does a loaded Kindle count? <laughs> you have no power. <laughs> um, so let's see. What would be um, one book that I would bring? I own a uh, a big fat book that contains every single Sherlock Holmes story by Sir Conan Arthur Doyle. So okay. that's what I'll probably bring. Oh, that's a very good choice. Yes. I used to have one of those too, one of the, the big companions that had all the stories in there. Yeah. No, that's great. Good choice. And uh, your beverage of choice doesn't have to be alcohol. And this isn't on the desert island. This is just, you know, day to day. What you like to uh, to drink? Uh, I'm boring. I like sparkling water. Okay. <laughs> Wait, you got a lot to do. I mean, you've got the kids, you got to write, you're working, so you got to keep a clear head. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, uh, how can your fans or people that want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way to do that since you're, or your books are being published by Insane and by other publishers? How can we follow along? Well, I keep uh, a lot of updates on my author's Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash frankmartinwriter. I also have a, a Twitter that I, that I post on pretty regularly. My handle is at Frank the Writer. And I, um, I, all my Amazon works are listed on my Amazon author's page, which is Amazon.com slash author slash Frank Martin. All right. Well, Frank, thanks so much. And I, I really did enjoy Modern Testament. It's coming out volume four soon, folks. So uh, definitely check that out. Best way is to go to Insane Comics website to get that uh, in print or digital. And eventually it does wind up on Comicology, but if you want to get it right away, you want to look to Insane Comics first. And we'll be looking out for uh, Buccaneers coming up, Buccaneer Seas, uh, early next year. Definitely want to check that out. Frank, thanks so much. 
Thank you for having me on, Chris. It's been fun. Well, all right, that wraps up my conversation with Frank Martin about Modern Testament through Insane Comics and his upcoming book, Buccaneer Seas. All good stuff, and we will have more Insane Comics creators coming up in the episodes ahead. I have a few more that I'll be spotlighting in the month of June, and also I will be having other interviews with creators from Aftershock Image and more. So please stay tuned and to follow and find out who will be up next you can go to my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. There I have the previous episodes on the site. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter, at creatortalkspod. That's at creatortalkspod. And you can find out who will be on the show, and I'll be putting out uh, messages on social media when those new episodes are available. If you like the show, let me know what you think. You can do that through social media. And you can also do it through email on the website that I have, creatortalks.com. The show is free and shall remain free, and I'm really here to provide the audience with some connection with the creators behind the books, the writers, the artists, the publishers, so you have a better feel of who is that behind the book, what are they all about. So we're not just talking about the book, we're also talking about that individual. I think it makes it a lot more interesting. So help me by spreading the word about Creator Talks. Tell your friends, your family, anybody you think who might be interested in comic books. We go into a little more depth here than just uh, reviewing comics, although occasionally I will do that. We also get the guests on the show to talk about it. So you hear it from the source, not secondhand. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>